Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Every day around our house lately, there's a new growth development in Haddon. Um, he's at that age where something new every day. Um, and he, he started talking back in August and hasn't stopped since. Um, <laughs> sometimes we will look on the baby monitor when he's sleeping, and he'll be, like, talking in his sleep, saying stuff. Um, we've noticed lately when we turn on, like, Netflix and it takes a second to load, there's a little spinning, you know, thing to taunt you. And he'll sit there and be like, come on, TV. <laughs> I think he learned that from his grandparents because their TV is slower than ours. But um, uh, he's developing likes and dislikes. He loves cheese like his mom. Um, but then a few weeks ago, I made a, um, I, I cooked a new recipe um, for chicken stir fry. Um, Adrian was out for an event or something, so I cooked that and was going to share it with Haddon and, you know, chicken and broccoli and carrots and all that on rice. And um, I made a new recipe. It was, it was incredible. The, the one we used, we weren't a huge fan of, so I looked up a new one and got it and made it. And I took a bite of it, and I said, this is incredible. It had a little more pepper than, than maybe what I wanted, but, um, but I gave a piece to Haddon. And he took a bite, and he made a gag face. Um, he said, no, like it. So I said, okay, buddy, then just give it back to me. I'll eat it. Well, he got out of his chair, and instead of giving it back to me, he walked around to the sink and he said, throw it, sink. <laughs> Just threw it right into the sink. I, I, I wanted that piece of chicken, but I didn't get it. Um, he's developing a routine. Um, right when he wakes up in the morning, he starts saying, fruit snacks. I need fruit snacks. Um, he has certain things he likes to do throughout the day. Um, he likes to play with his train set out on the porch. He likes to watch Mickey Mouse, Thomas the Train, and Little Baby Bum, and usually like switch mid-video each time. Um, and he likes to run circles around our house, not, not around outside, like inside the house. Um, and when we start taking him to bed at night, he knows what's happening, and he does not like it. Um, we have new stuff like this every single day right now because Haddon is growing. We expect it. We expect it. Because you expect that someone who is growing is going to have new developments. You expect that. If, the, if they aren't having new developments as they grow, something's wrong. If a 12-year-old can't talk yet, something's wrong. If a 16-year-old still drinks from a bottle and sucks on a pacifier, something's wrong. If a 24-year-old still expects his mother to bathe him, something is wrong. It's the same with spiritual growth. I want to ask you this morning, are you growing in your faith? Are you growing in your faith? And if you say yes, how would you know? What do you base it on? 
I think most people would judge if they're growing in their faith by are they learning more? Are they learning more? You know, they, they, attend a, they attend church, they attend Sunday school, maybe they attend a Bible study, maybe they watch something on Right Now Media or something like that, and they're taking in as much information as they possibly can, and they feel like they're growing because of that. But knowledge is only part of it. It's only part of it. Kind of like as Haddon gets older, he's going to eat more, and groceries are going to cost us more than they already do. But him eating more is not a specific growth sign. In fact, if he eats too much, that could cause harmful effects. So spiritual growth is seen in this. Not just that you're taking in more information, not just that you're eating more spiritually. Spiritual growth is seen in you used to do one set of things, and now you have grown up and you do something else. You've grown past the immaturities of spiritual childhood. So what are those things? What are some of the signs of spiritual immaturity that you want to grow past in order to be growing in your faith? Um, it's vital that you know what those are so you can know what you need to grow past. And so um, as we move into the next part of Galatians, um, Paul's going to mention uh, several of them. Um, so we're going to read verses 8, chapter 4, verses 8 through 20 today. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose." They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for who I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. There are about five passages, passages of Scripture I turn to regularly. Um, to remind myself what my job is as a pastor, and um, Galatians 4.19 is one of them. I am in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Paul desires that the Galatians would have Christ formed in them. It's almost like, think of um, when, when a um, baby is growing in the womb, it's, it's growing, it's forming, it's being um, formed with, with all of its ligaments coming into place, all of its organs developing and all of that until the time should come that that baby is born. It's the same idea spiritually. We are being formed into Christ spiritually. I've never given birth. I've watched it happen. I've never been through it. But there are days and weeks when pastoring feels like the anguish of childbirth because of the labor involved in it. I'm, I, but the, because my heart is that Christ would be formed in you. My main heart is not that our giving would meet budget. 
My main heart is not that each of these seats would be fueled on a Sunday. My main heart is not that we would make a difference. I hope those things happen. I do. But my heart as a pastor is that Christ would be formed in you, that he would, be, um, that he would form in you like a baby in the womb. And I think about that all hours of the day, every day. There's rarely a waking hour where I'm not thinking about one of you or this whole church. My heart for you is that you would grow up spiritually in every way that Christ would be formed in you. So, what are the things this passage prescribes as signs of spiritual immaturity? The things that if you're going to grow up in the faith, you need to know what these are so you can fight against them. Well, I see four in this passage. Maybe, is there, maybe there's more. But we're going to look at four. The first is um, verses 8 through 11, and I would just call it returning to slavery. That's a sign of spiritual immaturity, returning to slavery. Remember what we looked at last week, verses 1 through 3, that before we're saved, we're slaves to the world. We're slaves to the world. The world is a cruel slave master. But he says, you have come to know God. Verse 9, you've come to know God, or rather, you've come to be known by God. That's a good note about our salvation. We call it coming to Jesus, but honestly, it's more Jesus coming to you. Um, you simply respond to him when he comes to you. It's not just about, it's not so much about whether or not you know Jesus. The question is, does Jesus know you? Now that that has happened, why would you go back to the old life? Verse 9, why would you turn back to that way? What, why do you want to go back into slavery? They had been enslaved to the world God had set them free. This slavery they were in, verse 9, was elementary. It was elementary. It was so basic that they shouldn't even have been drawn to it. So I read a lot. Um, I, I wasn't a big reader until I was a Christian. Um, that's what I've heard from a lot of people. When they became a Christian, they became readers. Um, I've been a Christian 15 years tomorrow. And um, in those 15 years, I have never read a book explaining the alphabet to me, ever. I've, I've never thought, hmm. I need to read a book on the alphabet. That'll really help me out. Because that's elementary. I already know that. I, I, that's, that's so basic that I'm drawn to something else, right? I am never drawn to a book about the alphabet. Th these people were going back to slavery and being drawn back to that elementary system that they should have not in any way been drawn to, but they're going to it. But it's a different kind of slavery for them, isn't it? Verse 10. You expect Paul to say, yeah, you're going back to your drinking and you're sleeping around and you're cussing, but that's not what he says. No, he says what? You observe days and months and seasons and years. Well, that sounds like some wickedness right there. Um, what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about Jewish religion, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Booths, the sabbatical years, all that stuff. He's, he's the days and months and seasons and years. You're observing all that. Most of the Galatians were Gentiles, so they weren't Jews. You got Jews, and then you got everybody else in the world. They're Gentiles. We are Gentiles. Um, Gentiles are not required to observe the Jewish traditions. They're not. But you remember in Galatia, they have a group there known as the Judaizers that are telling them, if you don't observe the Jewish law, you can't be saved, and you can't be a faithful Christian. And Paul tells them, they're going back to slavery to believe that. That they're freed from slavery, and they're free, and essentially they're going back to their old master and saying, here, lock me back up. I want to be back in it. That's what they're doing. A sign of spiritual maturity, of spiritual immaturity, 
is turning back to your old life. But you may do that through religion, or you may do that through wickedness. Remember what Galatians has been hammering home. Sin is often a fruit of trying to justify yourself by works. You can do that through strip clubs or through Sunday school. You forget the freedom of the gospel and the joy it brings, and you go back to the old life trying to save yourself or trying to live for yourself. And Paul just asked the question in verse 11, did I waste my time with you people? Like, did I really waste my time with you? Paul loves these people, and he worked hard to see them established in their faith, and they're doing this. They're turning back and leaving behind everything Paul taught them. Here's an important thing for you. If you're a Christian, devote your life to discipling others. Devote your life to discipling others. That is, taking younger believers or less mature believers under your wing and teaching them and mentoring them. That's something barely any Christian does, and that's what Scripture expects every Christian to do. It's what the Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.2. You um, take what you've learned and you pass it on to faithful people who will be able to teach others. That's how the church is built. That's how it's been built since the beginning, and that's how it will continue on into the future. You take somebody less mature than you, and you impart to them what you know. And that's what he's done here. But know what happens when you do that. Sometimes it goes really well. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it turns out bad. I have discipled guys who have gone on to help plant churches, and I have discipled guys who left the faith in their first semester in college. I led a discipleship group one summer in my home church when I was in college, um, and I came home. Uh, three guys in our youth group. I was like a freshman, sophomore in college, and I, I knew these three, so I said, hey, let's, let's meet up for the summer once a week. Let's read the Bible. Let's pray. Let's just share what's going on in life and and, and, and let, let me kind of pour into you. And those three guys, one of them is now a youth pastor, one of them is an atheist, and one of them is, I mean, he would still call himself a Christian, but he's, he's extremely immature in the faith, and he um, has kind of a big head about it. Um, we don't control how the people we disciple turns out, turn out. Our job is simply to be faithful to disciple them and let God take care of the results. So the first sign of spiritual immaturity is, is going back into slavery. The second one comes in verses 13 through 16. You'll notice I skipped verse 12. I'm going to come back to it. Um, verses 13 through 16. Paul, is, um, Paul tells the story of how he came to be there in Galatia, how he ended up there. I mean, he's going to show that one of the signs of spiritual immaturity is villainizing other believers. Villainizing other believers. So he talks about how he got to be there in Galatia, because it wasn't on his travel plans when he was going. Um, he says, I had a bodily ailment, and that's how I ended up preaching the gospel to you. Um, scholars think probably what happened is they were sailing on the Mediterranean Sea, and Paul caught malaria, so they had to retreat and take a you know, side trip, and they ended up in Galatia. And when he was there, they took care of him, verse 14, and he preached the gospel to them and established a church there. That, that's what he did. And now he's left. Now he's gone on his way. He's gone on, continued doing his missionary work. And the Judaizers have come in, and they have preached against Paul. They've preached against him. They haven't shown love the way Paul did to them, but they are leading these people astray. And they're being hateful toward Paul and villainizing him. They've made him an enemy. 
And look at what Paul says in verse 15. He's like, what happened to you people? Like, like there was a time when you literally would have like, like ripped your eyeballs out of your head and given them to me if I had needed that, and now you consider me your enemy. That's, that's what you're doing. Why? Why are you doing that? It's because they're spiritually immature. Spiritual immaturity will cause you to make other Christians out to be the enemy. Other Christians, which is a heinous thing. A heinous thing. A blood-bought, redeemed sinner of God, um, redeemed by God's blood, part of your spiritual family, turning them into an enemy. That's a heinous thing. John 13, 35, it says that um, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He doesn't say there by your love for the whole world. We have love for the whole world. But by your love for each other, that's how the world will know you're my disciples. You're spiritually caring for one another as family. It's a deeper bond than even blood. Yet our world loves to make us against each other, don't they? It's the nature of social media and identity politics. If you disagree with me about something, you're the enemy and you're everything that's wrong with this country. We have to live countercultural to that. We have to live countercultural to that. 25 years ago, to live countercultural as a Christian meant simply like you didn't have sex outside of marriage. Like it, it still means that, but today, being a countercultural Christian means you just, you're nice and you show love to people who disagree with you. Like that's countercultural in our time. It is. And a true sign of spiritual immaturity is if you're quick to treat other Christians like they're your enemy. <sighs> they didn't vote for Trump? Get rid of them. That, that preacher has holes in his jeans while he's preaching? What's, somebody needs to fire that guy. I mean, after all, it says in Second Opinions chapter 5, preachers have to always be in a three-piece suit even when they're sleeping. What's wrong with this guy? Uh, they still believe America has racism in it? That's no Christian in my book. Uh, they don't use the King James Version? They're of the devil, people. Like, like in, in our day, people will find any and every reason to um, make someone out to be the enemy who's their brother in Christ or their sister in Christ. Just stop. There are absolutely things worth contending for and fighting for. We must defend the faith. We must hold fast the truth of God's word. But the truth we defend is God's word, not what our favorite politician said, not what Facebook says, not what some, you know, old viral preacher on YouTube said. No, what God's word says. That's what we fight for. We don't fight for silly opinions. We hold to the truth and we do it with grace. That's what Jesus said to do. That's who Jesus was. He was full of grace and truth. And how well you can do that, how well you can hold truth with grace, shows how spiritually mature you are. If you speak the truth with no grace, that's a sign of spiritual immaturity. But if you ignore the truth in your idea to be loving, that's also a sign of spiritual immaturity. You've got to learn how to do both. Number three, third sign of spiritual immaturity, verses 17 and 18. Paul says, they make much of you. Paul says, they make much of you, but they're scam artists. They're like a, a spiritual pyramid scheme. They make much of the Galatians so that they can get the Galatians in to do whatever they want them to do. Making much of them for their own benefit. Paul says, verse 18, it's, it's good to be made much of. It's good to be 
um, spoken well of, and we show honor where honor is due, and we respect and we encourage and we praise and honor people for the good of others and for the glory of God. We don't do it to look awesome. We don't do it so people look at me and think, man, they're so encouraging. Look at them. No. The third sign of spiritual immaturity is flattery. Flattery. A desire to be seen as awesome. A desire to be praised by others. Wanting a spiritual ego boost. I saw this a lot when I was in seminary. Um, Used to make or break if I wanted to be associated with somebody. So there's a general community of students at seminary, and some of those guys just think they are God's gift to the church. I mean, yeah, Augustine and Martin Luther and Charles Spurgeon and Billy Graham, they, they were all great, but have you seen me? I'm a 22-year-old with ambition. No one has ever loved Jesus like me or known theology like me. Uh, I mean, just wait till I'm a pastor. I'm going to preach these radically sermons that are going to, these radical sermons that are going to change people every time I preach. If I saw a guy like that in seminary, I I ran away as fast as I could. Now, there, of course, was a time when I was like that as well. I think that was before I was at seminary. Um, Most young guys are called into ministry, go through a phase like that. They just have to grow up and be humbled a little bit. And they'll get to that point where they realize they're not God's gift to the church. They're just another block in the church that God is building. So the question for you is, do you think too highly of yourself? Like, be honest with yourself, because everybody says they don't look down on other people. I don't think I'm better than anybody else. But then a lot of the things they say actually reveals that they do. So search your heart. Be honest with yourself. This is not one that we just regularly know. We're very blind to seeing, thinking, uh, to seeing that we think too highly of ourselves. Ask the people in your life. They know if you think too highly of yourself. Just ask them. If you do think too highly of yourself, that's a sign of spiritual immaturity. Children think too highly of themselves. Senior adults who have weathered life, if they're humble, know how to rightly view themselves because they've grown. And then fourth sign of spiritual immaturity, verses 19 and 20. Childishness. Childishness. Look what Paul calls them. Little children. I'm, I'm a 30-year-old man, almost 31. I, I don't really, you know, want to be called a little child, right? If I'm being called a little child, it's because I'm acting like a little child, right? Um, they're acting like children. Now, understand, we're to have a childlike faith. Jesus talks about that, but have, have faith like a child, but we're not to have a childish faith. Childlike faith is trusting God like a child trusts their parents. Children aren't logical, They just trust their parents without question. But childish faith is immaturity that must be grown past. So when I was in middle school, we had about four or five subs that that would come in and sub for each teacher whenever whenever they were out. And there was one guy who subbed. His name was Mr. Veezy. Mr. Veezy was an older man. Um, I would guess, I I don't know. He's, He's probably passed on now with the age he was when I was 12, um, but when he came in, he, um, he just sat there. That's all he did. He sat there. He didn't teach. He didn't give us, a, he, he would give us the assignment that he left, that was left, but he didn't make us do that stuff. He just sat there and let us run wild. He just sat there. He'd eat some crackers from time to time. He usually fall asleep at some point during class. 
And what happens when you're the chaperone of a group of 12-year-olds and you fall asleep? They just sit and mind their own business and be very peaceful people, don't they? I remember one day specifically, it was a madhouse. Um, the, he, he was in and out of sleep, eating his crackers when he would wake up, and the class was unorganized mass chaos. One group of girls were over in this corner, you know, talking really loud, gossiping, glancing at all the boys that they liked, and one group of kids was playing cards over here, and, you know, one kid had his headphones on listening to Nirvana, headbanging the whole time. And one kid, no joke, took his shirt off, took the collar of his shirt and wrapped it around his head like a chef hat, you know, and ran around the class like a chicken. I won't tell you which one of those scenarios I was involved in, but... Um, Mr. Veazey, when he would wake up, would just sit there and watch. Never said stop, never, you know, sent any kid out or anything, just sat there and watched. And that classroom is what mass childishness looks like. Have you ever, it's just chaos. Everybody doing their own thing, doing their own immature thing, and it's like, it's like somebody let a lion loose in there, and it's just destroying everything. You ever been part of a church where the entire congregation is childish, the business meetings are insane. I was in a business meeting in church one time um, when I was younger, and um, I sat and watched people argue for an hour, an hour, 60 minutes, about whether to use an allotted amount of money in the mission fund for a church billboard in town or for the youth to go on a mission trip. We can either stamp up a billboard with our information so we don't have to go tell people where our church is, or we can send the youth on a mission so that people may hear the gospel. People argued about that for an hour, and it was one of those meetings where even I, as a 16-year-old, was sitting there like, please end this. Can somebody just please finish this up, and let's just do something with this money, and I'm ready to eat dinner. But that's what mass childishness looks like. God calls the church to something better than that. He calls us to grow up, not whine about not getting our way, not cause a fuss in church, not speak when they shouldn't speak. Like, like understand, Haddon's growing, right? Haddon's two and a half years old almost. Haddon uh, is growing. Haddon also has moments where he fusses. He's a two-year-old. That's what they do. And usually if, if I'm, you know, letting him look at my phone, look at pictures or something, he likes to look at pictures on my phone and, um, and it's time for him to stop, I take it from him and he gets really upset and starts screaming. Or if it's bedtime and we're trying to get him to his room, he gets upset and we have to basically drag him to his room sometimes. He throws a fit when he gets something taken from him or when it's time to stop playing. And actually, that's how a lot of adult Christian people are sometimes. You take something away from them that they've always liked, and they throw a fit. Or you stop doing something that they've always done in church, and they, they flip out. You tell them it's time to stop playing, and they throw a fit. And that's a sign of spiritual immaturity. I expect my two-year-old to act like that. I don't expect an adult to act like that. Like that. So my son is going to continue to grow naturally. He needs us to feed him and take care of him, but he's going to grow like that just happens as time goes on. He gets bigger and bigger. Spiritual growth is different. Spiritual growth is different. You can be a Christian for 30 years and still be um, the, the, the maturity level of a six-month-old as a Christian. 
it requires you to pursue it. You have to pursue spiritual growth. You have to be active in the process. Some Christians have been saved for decades, and they're still immature, so we must grow up. So that's when we go back to verse 12. What does Paul say? I entreat you, become as I am, for I also became as you are. Become as I am, I became as you are. It was Paul's missionary principle to become as they were. He would go into a culture and he would, he would live like he lived in that culture. He would dress the way they dressed. He would um, eat the things they ate. He would become all things to all people. He would obey the Jewish law when he was ministering to Jews. And he would you know, do the Gentile culture when he was ministering to Gentiles. That's what he would do. So now he's telling the Galatians, become as he is. In other words, become spiritually mature. Grow up. So how do you grow as a Christian? Let me give you some ways. First, you've got to have a one-on-one with God. You've got to have a one-on-one with God where you get in his word and you pray. You can have other stuff involved in that, but those are the two essential things. You must do this. You say, I don't have time to do that. I don't buy that. We make time for what's important. We do. Find time for it. You have it. I promise. If you try really hard and you can't find time, come and talk to me. I'll help you find the time. This is your spiritual food. You cannot be healthy physically without eating. You cannot be healthy spiritually without eating. And then I would add personal discipleship relationships. Relationships that you have with other people for the purpose of growing in your faith. This is what I talked about earlier. You need relationships with other people in this church or in your life where you're meeting with them for the purpose of you, them, or both of you growing in your faith. Remember Galatians 4.19, I'm in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That's my job as your pastor. Parents, that's your job for your kids. Um, Members of this church, that's your job for each other. Sunday school teachers, that's the job for you to your class. Um, Youth and kids workers, that's your job to the kids that you teach every Wednesday and Sunday night. You need these things in your life. You need people who are going to help Christ be formed in you and who you're going to help Christ form in. You need three relationships in your life. You need a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. You need a Paul, someone more spiritually mature than you to invest in your growth. You need a Barnabas, somebody who's at your level, walking beside you and holding your, you, helping you walk and, and encouraging you. And then you need a Timothy. You need someone less mature than you that you can disciple, that you can invest in. I say more and less mature and not older or younger because that may not be how it works. Um, I have been um, invested in by younger people than me before, and I have discipled people older than me. Sometimes it works like that. And then I would say church. Attend and serve this place. Attend. Be here regularly. Like, I get missing five or six times a year for vacation and sickness, but when you miss 20 or 30 Sundays a year, there's something spiritually immature in you. There just is. You need this to grow up. When someone joins our church, I meet with them beforehand, and I tell them kind of the expectations of what it means to be a member. And one of those is, if you join, I expect you to be here. Why would you not? You need this. You need to read God's word privately, but you also need to hear it preached publicly in a group of people. It's the difference in watching the Food Network and eating a meal. 
Like watching my sermon on Facebook Live, if you're unable to be here, that's, that's fine. But you're missing out on something if you're not here among us. You're watching the Food Network rather than eating yourself. You need to hear one another sing. You need to rub shoulders with other believers. You can't carry out commands of Scripture without being here. And then serve. Don't just attend. Serve. Serve in a meaningful way. Don't say you serve here just because you're on a committee that never meets. We have a couple committees that by the nature of what they are, they only meet as needed, and they don't meet very much. You can't count that as serving. No. Our, our churches, uh, most churches have this problem. I hear from every pastor I talk to. It's somewhere around um, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. So if you don't serve in any substantial way, come talk to me. Let's get you plugged in somewhere and, and serving. Uh, I want you to mark your calendars for January 22nd of next year. Very excited for this. We've been as a church um, getting a church covenant together, um, one that we write ourselves, not just a stock church covenant that they give out, but, but we're getting it together. Um, we're presenting it in conference next month, and then January 22nd, we're going to have it here before us in worship, and we're going to commit to it together. A church covenant is a promise you make to your body of believers when you join. Um, and that day, I'm going to have ways for you to plug in and serve. I'm going to have um, a, a list of things that, that you can do. And you're going to fill out a card and say, I'd like to do these. Great, let's get you plugged in. I'm praying that you're here that day. And then finally, last way to serve, mission. Be on mission to those around you, seeking to reach others with the gospel through meeting needs, through hospitality, through friendship. Jesus said, my food is to do God's work. You can't grow without that. Pray for mission opportunities for our church. And let's talk about ideas that you have. I want to bless that idea and send you to do it as the Lord is laying on your heart. That's how mission happens. It doesn't have to be a program in this church. If the Lord's leading you to start a neighborhood Bible study or a ministry of homeless people to serve in the schools or whatever, do it. Let's equip you in the best way possible to do that. And let's see you do that well. Spiritual growth takes time. You're not going to do these few things that I've just told you and all of a sudden grow over a week. No, growth doesn't happen like that physically or spiritually. Growth takes time. It takes a long time. You have to faithfully do these things I've just told you for years and years and years, and you will grow in the process. I'll be a Christian tomorrow, 15 years. I came to faith in Christ October 31st, 2007. You know, I can look back. And I can see a lot of ways the Lord has grown me in those 15 years. But I can also see a lot of ways I still have to grow. And I won't just flip a switch and suddenly be grown. It will take years and years of watering the soil and waiting for growth. Because God gives the growth. So church, I charge you this morning. Grow up. Grow up spiritually into spiritual maturity. Always be pursuing that. Whether you're immature or mature, if you're a mature believer, then you understand the need to continue growing. Grow more. You haven't arrived yet. I haven't arrived yet. You still have growth to come, so grow. Examine these four areas I've given you. Um, returning to slavery, villainizing other believers, flattery, and childishness. Check your heart. See if any of those four are there and battle against them. Make war against them. And ask the Lord to grow you as you faithfully follow him. 
This is my heart for you as your pastor. I want Christ to be formed in you. So let's all strive to grow up. Let's pray. Father, we hear your word calling us to grow, calling us to bear fruit, calling us to um, become more like Jesus in every way. And so I pray that we'd pursue that. Lord, that is, that, is, that is our life as a follower of you. We follow Jesus until we become more and more like him, until the day that he returns and makes us completely like him. Oh, Lord, may that day come. Lord, until then, help us to faithfully follow you and grow up. Lord, some of us may have the spiritual maturity level of a 65-year-old. Wonderful. We still have growing to do, so let us grow. Some of us may have the spiritual maturity level of an angsty 15-year-old. Help us grow. Some of us may have the spiritual maturity of a, of a um, fussy two-year-old. May we grow. Lord, whether we are 2, 15, 26, or 45, or, or 68 spiritually, Lord, may we grow beyond that. You want us to grow, and so help us do so. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, we'll have a time for a response. I'm here at the front. If you'd like to talk about anything the Holy Spirit's speaking to you about, um, and Caleb will lead us in one final song.